we actually started broadcasting a little bit into that. So that was a lot of cleverness that did not get broadcast would be my joke there. But again, this is Seven Investing Now. Uh, you are watching us here on Inauguration Day, and we appreciate that. Uh, we will be done well in time for you to get your popcorn made, for you to get to the inauguration. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Instead of uh, our normal format, we're going to be taking your health and biotech questions. We got a whole bunch of them um, from Twitter. We're going to take some of those. And if there's any live, if anyone is watching the show live, we would love to have your questions. But before we do that, uh, we'll start with Max. Why don't you guys give your background a little bit and explain sort of how you're health and biotech experts? So uh, my background, uh, two engineering degrees, one in bioprocess engineering. So that's scaling up uh, fermentation systems and cell culture. So things like making beer, making uh, ethanol, other chemicals you can make with biology um, and also biologic drugs, vaccines, uh, antibodies. Uh, and then I went to grad school for uh, material science and engineering kind of totally different than biology, but uh, I did some work in tissue engineering. So things like cell culture, again, uh, growing organs, uh, but I mostly focused on energy storage and electrochemistry. I keep asking, I keep asking Max to make me a vaccine or, or even like an ice cream with a vaccine in it, and he won't do it. Manisha Sammy, tell the people who you are. Sure. Um, so I studied, uh, biotechnology at Stanford, uh, just a bachelor, so I don't have two degrees like Max here. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I started working in Stanford's uh, stem cell labs when I was in high school. So I worked kind of all throughout my high school years and college years, and I uh, did some work even post-college years uh, doing stem cell research, uh, specifically for acute myeloid leukemia, worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, um, doing uh, cancer research for them for a few years. I did also a few labs in clinical research labs. Um, so ranging from cardiac diseases and uh, whatnot. And no, I do not have a an MD, but sometimes I felt like it was kind of scary, the things they let me do, uh, especially in Stanford's ER lab or ER facility. Um, so that's where my biotech uh, expertise comes into play. Um, and here I am. <laughs> for, for those of you just tuning in, we had a, a little bit of technical difficulties at the top. We, um, we missed like the first 45 seconds of the show where I kind of pointed out that this is the only thing you could be watching today. No, we fully acknowledge today is inauguration day. It's kind of a, a busy slash scary day for Americans. So we appreciate any of you who are here. I'm, of course, Daniel Brooks-Klein. Uh, and Manisha, very similar to you working in Stanford's labs when you were in high school, I was a coat check at my temple. So very <laughs> similar levels of responsibility. Because I will point out, when you're a coat check at a temple, back in, I don't know, this was, I guess, the late 80s, early 90s, every single man wears the same brown London Fog raincoat. And it is really tricky. You lose one tag, you're in trouble. So similar levels of responsibility. With that, we are going to get to your biotech and healthcare questions. Uh, these came from Twitter. We will happily take your questions and comments live. Uh, feel free to ask about other stuff. So if you want a quick comment on Netflix earnings, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, we're going to play it fast and loose today. But Chooch asks, how do you square investing in genomic biotech within the circle of competence proposition? I know this is the future, and I want to be in this space, but I'm having to just take Max and Manisha's word for it when it comes to these companies. It's way over my head. Hey, that's 
how I do it. I'm going to go in the order you guys put on the sheet. So, Max, you wanted to comment on this one first. Yeah, I just like to uh, point out, you know, hey, look, there's no rule that says you have to own everything that's billed as the future, right? Um, so stick to what you know is still really good advice. There's things I don't understand in, you know, like SaaS or cloud computing. I get like the basic level of it, but I don't know what metrics matter for evaluating those companies or businesses. Um, you know, and, you know, if I look at 2020, I could sit here and say, wow, I missed out on like 500% gains everywhere you look. Um, but, you know, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you know, stick to what you know is still really good advice. You're not going to get burned. You're not going to, uh, you know, follow in, into traps or things like that. So, um, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to invest in biotech just because you think it's the future. If you really don't uh, understand it or you think it's way over your head, you can, you're absolutely allowed to sit on the sidelines. Okay, I'm going to jump in here. Max is being modest here. <laughs> Normally, this is not an area I invest in, but I am lucky enough to get to spend a lot of time with Max and Manisha, and their background is good. They know this stuff cold, and, and I've worked with, with other experts at, at other places who know it as well, but their ability to evaluate these companies, and any obscure company comes up. We're going to talk about sort of the prevalence of penny stocks in this space a little bit later. Two penny stocks came up yesterday, and on our Slack, Max immediately got into this long debate with Manisha, and they knew these companies cold. This would be like, you know, look, I'm a retail expert. Like, you know, I had to explain to Max what Macy's was and, and <laughs> other things like that. But this would be like if you called me up about like a local store in your town, and all of a sudden I like could do like a breakdown. That's how good these two are. And I buy one or both of their recommendations every month. And of course, to get their recommendations, you have to be a member. Manisha Sammy, your thoughts on this one. Sure. So, you know, I do want to agree with Max at the same time. I think biotech is such an esoteric world. And um, I'm sure it's how I view the SaaS companies of the world, because to me, that's just alien language. And it's like, what? What are margins? What's a balance sheet? Uh, how does this work? Um, so I think part of investing, um, echoing what Dan was saying is, if you have the right resources that you can trust, you may not be the expert, but um, just reading up on you know basic literature so you know what you're buying into, I think that is prudent. So uh, I own some stocks I don't know very much about, but uh, they're past recommendations of seven uh, investing advisors, and I'm just trusting in them um, that they, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, add, I'll add, you know, if you read Manisha Mind Report, I mean, we try to explain it in the simplest terms at first, and then we build on it from there. So by the time you get to the end of the report, you should have a pretty good understanding of what we're talking about, or, you know, at least feel marginally confident. Um, but if you still feel it's over your head, then, you know, you don't have to own everything. So that's all. And th this is also one of those spaces where you don't make big bets. I don't think 15% of your portfolio should be any single you know, biotech startup that's pre-revenue. But if you're making small, and small is relative. For some people, small is $10,000. For some, it's $100. Like, you know, whatever that is for you, it's important to be represented because, Max, not every one of these is going to hit. I think that's even companies that look like they're going to be successful can sometimes get far down the clinical road and then, oh no, it doesn't work or it calls your arms to fall off or who knows what. Yeah, and there's there's companies that have a successful phase three trial and then the FDA brings up some tiny little issue and their stock falls in half. Or sometimes stocks or a, a company will have a successful phase three clinical trial, they'll get FDA approval and then it doesn't sell in the market and then the stock goes you know even lower. So it's, it's you know, even things that look like really good bets or they look like they're de-risked, 
um, can still be pretty, you know, they can still fall pretty hard. It can still be volatile. So um, definitely diversification is key. Don't put, you know, some crazy amount of money in some uh, unproven biotech for sure. We're going to talk more about chasing winners, which is a terrible idea in a little bit. Uh, you're watching Seven Investing Now. This is, of course, an interactive show. We know this is a tough area to ask sort of off-the-cuff questions, but uh, feel free in the chat to say hello. <laughs> feel free to ask questions. Wherever you're watching this, in theory, you can comment. And you know where you can watch this now? You can watch it at 7investing.com. If you go to the live stream tab, we are now streaming the shows and archiving the shows on our own website. That is a part of a major redesign that we will talk a little bit about later. So Rob Aurora asks, what do you think about protemics and how do you evaluate the potential of such tech versus lofty evaluations and risk reward? How do you value such companies? Max, did I say that right? And again, I'm going in the order you guys are in the sheet. I'm not, I'm not slighting Manisha here. Is it protemics? Manisha and I both immediately started laughing. Uh, So he's (laughs) asking about proteomics, Dan. Um, of course, sure it is. well, you've been texting me about it all week. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just put it there first in the sheet. You can ask Manisha first. It doesn't really matter. Um, so proteomics is the study of how protein systems, all multiple types of proteins uh, affect biologic function, right? It's one of the omics. We hear a lot about genomics. That's only one of the omics. There's proteomics. There's transcriptomics. There's all kinds of different omics, right? Metabolomics, lipidomics. Um, epigenomics. What is it? Epigenomics. Epigenomics. Yeah, there's a million of them, right? So you're, you're just you're just making up words here. <laughs> um, no. So um, proteomics is something that's very interesting, very powerful. I'm not aware of any pure play proteomics companies that are uh, investable opportunities. I know there's some that dabble in it, maybe for their tech platforms. Um, but you know, it's something that has a lot of potential, mostly unproven as far as like commercial potential. But uh, it's an area that I'm watching. Um, I don't know what the rest of that question was because we were too busy laughing at Dan. (laughs) (laughs) It's really how do you value companies when they're in, you know, pre-revenue stages? I I know that you got to look at the pipeline. You've got to look at sort of the prospects and you have to make some guesses. It's, It's not as cut and dry as say, okay, you know, Kohl's is opening 10 new stores. There's a lot more risk involved with some of these companies. Yeah. Um, so one of the first cuts I like to do is before even looking at an individual company, it's, okay, what's the big picture? Where do I see biology going or how we treat healthcare? Um, so getting the that lay of the land is kind of helpful in framing kind of where different companies fall within that trajectory. Um, you know, in terms of, di- is it a diagnostic company? Is it a therapeutic company? Um, I will say that I, I tend to invest in a lot of pre-revenue companies, um, but I, base it on the technology uh, that, and the platform technology that they uh, found their business on. Um, so for example, it, you know, um, one of my uh, picks uh, is based on gene editing. And so I'm thinking about, okay, well, what is the market opportunity for gene editing? And then I look at that therapeutics company's pipeline. Um, is this a big market opportunity? What's the potential? And really, you're you're investing in their potential because obviously they don't ha- really have anything yet. Um, they don't have a fully working product. There's no commercial drug, but you're you're betting on the potential and investing in that story. Um, so looking at the people management culture, do they have do they have the right DNA to even run this business? 
um, looking at their product leadership, uh, looking at their IP. Uh, so there's just a number of different factors that you have to invest in uh, knowing that they don't actually have a product yet. So how key is management? Max, I'll let you answer this one because I look at right now, so I'm a big T-Mobile fan, and John Legere, who turned that company around, uh, has left the company to move on to other things, and I don't care where he goes. He could take over the, the company. He could take over Papa John's, and I, and I, would, buy, I would buy shares. That is, that is how much I believe in him. Max, does it work that way? Do you look at sort of the track record, of if they've done it before, if they've been instrumental in other companies? Yeah, so management is always important anytime you want to own a business. Um, in these technical areas, it's important. At the same time, it's less important, perhaps, because there's only so much you can do to overcome science or technical obstacles. So um, management is always important, but, uh, you know, it's tough. You have to also weigh it against um, what's co- what, what is the company trying to do, and sometimes it just doesn't work. Manisha might have some different... Uh, she might feel more bullish on how management uh, is important here. <laughs> Manisha, any, any last words on this one? No last words, but I basically, if the management team is extremely strong, there's a likelihood that they'll continue doing good things. Um, and sometimes you can have a weak management system and you see the, those companies don't tend to do so well. So I feel very strongly about management. That's true, actually. Yeah, if you have, if you have a good management and maybe the first initial focus doesn't work, th- that good management team can figure out a way to turn the thing around. So uh, um, that it does matter in that instance. So that's a good point. And good management doesn't mean you're going to succeed on everything. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick did not do so well and in his first head coaching job. Doesn't mean he's not the greatest coach of all time. And yes, that was a dig at, uh, at Max, who stuck with Mike Tomlin, the unfireable coach in Pittsburgh. Why? Lam- Why? <laughs> Every year, it's, it's all his assistants. Get rid of them all. Lamper 2 asks us a question. I want to field this one. I'm going to let you guys weigh in. Will one vaccine company become totally dominant uh, or will they all do well? It doesn't matter if one becomes dominant. They won't because we need a lot of vaccines. So any viable vaccines are going to be handed out. And vaccines are being sold at cost or at a loss. That is not a great business. Vaccines are, might raise your profile as a smaller company. We all know who Moderna is now. I guess that's something. But these are not businesses. Do not chase COVID-19 vaccine stocks. It is a terrible idea. Manisha, you're nodding your head. Feel free to, to, to disagree or, or weigh in here. Oh, I, I just, I can't agree with you any more than I already do. Um, it, it's been really painful for me to see how stocks have either risen or dropped due to, you know, like the smallest inkling of, oh, they have a vaccine that they're working on. So, you know, the stock rises 30% or, oh, it didn't work. So then it drops 50%. I'm thinking, that's not their business. And also there's, I mean, the margins on a vaccine business, it's next to nothing. I'm sure, as you mentioned, um, it raises the profile of the company so people are aware of the company a bit more, but they're not really making revenue off of a vaccine. It's more of a validation that they're capable of doing, or in a pandemic, they can have something up and ready and gives you greater confidence in the management and whatnot. Um, But you should be investing in the rest of their pipeline, not the vaccine itself. It also makes you feel really good about humanity. Because like when you look at these companies, they spent a lot of money chasing something that might not work 
for the good of humanity. And I know some of them took government money, but some didn't. I, you know, a lot of them just said, okay, we have the resources. We can probably do this. Let's do it. Now, in the case of the, the Moderna vaccine, I believe that becomes a platform for other things, Max, that they could, in theory, uh, take that in other directions. Yeah, so I looked into this like a couple of weeks ago because I mean I've, I've been following Moderna since it was a, a startup. Um, but um, so like if you're investing in Moderna because it has a coronavirus vaccine, that's not a good idea. Um, but they do have a very enormously stacked pipeline, um, and they did you know just collect a lot of government money. Uh, so for instance, BioNTech and Pfizer did not; they're not part of Operation Warp Speed. Uh, they just developed it because Pfizer has a giant uh, balance sheet. Um, but for Moderna, you know. They could potentially use some of that government money to, you know, fund development elsewhere in their pipeline. At the same time, I imagine most of their scientists are probably busy working on the vaccine and everything that goes along with that. So they have to kind of pause research in other areas. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's still like I don't know what the valuation is today, but it was at like 60 something billion recently. I mean, that's ridiculous. Even 30, 20 billion. I mean, that's that's up there with like companies that have really successful drugs on the market. And this company has nothing but a coronavirus vaccine that's probably going to be sold. I think it's $15 per shot. And how much of that is eaten away by the costs and the manufacturing. So, um, you know, good to give it an extra look elsewhere, like Manisha said, but don't chase things just because it's a, a pandemic play. That's a really terrible idea. And that question came from Lamper2, who was watching the show live. We really appreciate that. We really appreciate your live questions. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we hate having to go, oh, no, don't do that. But that's why we're here. One of the, we want to be a voice of reason and sort of, you know, when you go, oh, this seems like a good idea, you can ask us. We're all accessible. We can't give you individual investing advice. But if you say, wow, hey, here's this thing. I think it's going to do this. Here's my reason. We might be able to say, oh, no, there's, there's a reason. And that's kind of what we just did with investing in COVID stocks. But we're going to take our next question from Mabel. Uh, this is a, at Teach Me to Invest, a, a fan of the program. We're a fan of hers. Uh, whenever I think about biotech penny stocks come to mind, which I avoid like the plague, my question what kind of metrics do you analyze to decide if an up-and-coming biotech is worth it uh, or you're looking into just another random trash penny stock? Um, Manisha, I'll let you go first on this one, even though I could see Max is raring at the bit to go. Sure. Um, I So if it's a... When you say biotech stocks, you know, again, I like to say, you know, you have your therapeutic stocks, you have your diagnostics and uh, tools uh, companies, and you look at different metrics depending on which bucket. Um, I love looking at therapeutics companies the most. Um, so for those, I generally look at their, what is their platform technology? I don't like investing in binary companies. So if I see that in their pipeline, their entire valuation is based on one drug they're developing, that's scary and that's basically throwing your money into the trash. Yeah, um, because most likely it will fail. Uh, so I like looking at deep pipelines um, and I generally like to do uh, research on, okay, well, what are likelihood of approval rates for the disease indication they're working after? Um, how big is that market? Um, so those are some metrics um, internally. And, you know, I, I try and keep this as up to date as possible. Uh, I model out um, what's the current cash burn for the company, for example. Uh, so if they're in a phase one trial, um, doing a discounted cash flow. And again, this is, we don't, um, we don't like 
putting price targets on our recommendations, but it's nice to have a general idea of where we think the company will go. And especially in uh, therapeutics where you have no idea how science is going to work, it can completely fail, but you need to have and be sure that you have multiple drugs in the pipeline um, and that there's, you know, if one thing is off, it shouldn't destroy the rest of their pipeline. Otherwise, it's binary. And um, we, we say this all the time when it comes to penny stocks or high value stocks, that the price isn't what you look at. And we, we often apply that to say a company that's, you know, at a really high price. Is Tesla worth it? And the price isn't really the factor. That can be true with penny stocks. I'll give an example. Uh, Sirius XM, back before Howard Stern signed with them, when it was very heavily ruined, they, haven't even mer- they were just serious back then. They hadn't even merged with XM. They went as low as five cents, but I believed in the company. I looked at the subscription base. I looked at the revenue flow. I was pretty confident they were going to get Howard Stern, which would jumpstart them, you know, 30 million. It was closer to 70 million people, I think, or some crazy amount like that. Maybe I'm overstating that, but it was a lot of people. And I believed that was going to happen. So the fact that they were trading at a low price, I didn't make a huge buy, but I saw it as an opportunity. So if you truly understand the fundamentals of a company, but with biotech, and we're going to talk about this later, be really really careful because I can start a company tomorrow that says I'm going to use uh, bioengineered sodas to cure cancer and dementia. I can say that. It doesn't mean I'm going to deliver it. And a lot of these companies are little more than that. Max, I'm going to give you, you your word here. And then we're going to take a question from our very own CEO, Simon Erickson. Uh-oh. Simon's asking. He watches this show? What? <laughs> um, so, uh, so to Mabel's question, you know, um, first I'd like to point out, you know, Penny stocks and development stage biopharmas are two different things most of the time, right? There could be a pre-revenue, pre-commercial company uh, that, you know, is valued at billions of dollars. So it's not always a penny stock. Um, But as Manisha said, you know, there's no revenue, there's no profits, no cash flows, right? So it's very difficult to to use different metrics uh, when you're looking and evaluating at these companies. So um, same thing that Manisha said, I would just add, you know, what I like to look at, again, Companies have technology platforms that can be used broadly. Uh, And also, I look at companies that are addressing pain points within some type of uh, value chain, right? So does it have a, you know, I don't want to name specific examples. I don't know. Um, But, you know, maybe there's um, something that goes wrong with like all of gene therapy. And one company or a couple companies are working on something that can potentially add more value to gene therapy or, or remove that problem, right? So that adds value broadly across all gene therapy pipelines. Like that's a good example of a platform technology that's addressing a pain point uh, that might be worth, you know, looking into a little bit further. doesn't mean it's going to be a great investment. doesn't mean it's going to work. Um, but, you know, it's a good start. That's something to, uh, to look at rather than companies that have one drug in their pipeline or maybe they have three drugs in their pipeline, but they all work the same. Well, if one fails, then you probably know what that means for the other two. So. So our very own Simon Erickson asks, are there opportunities for biotech outside of healthcare? I know the answer here, but I'll r- raise your hands. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Max can go first. Are there opportunities for biotech outside of healthcare? Yeah, so I wrote about this um, for my um, – uh, we have this little thing called Perspectives here at 7 Investing. I think it's only for members, but um, we have a research portal now. We just launched it, so in the near future, we'll be able to write more freely. That's where I like, I like to write more. I'm a much gooder writer than talker. So, um, you know, biotech, we usually use that word incorrectly. We use it interchangeably to mean biopharma and healthcare, but that's incorrect, right? Um, Biopharmaceuticals is just one part of biotech. There's also industrial biotech, which has nothing to do with healthcare. We can make materials, we can make uh, chemicals. Um, You know, there's 
actually a company right now that's using genetically engineered yeast to make radar coatings for stealth fighters, right? That's biotech, but it's not healthcare, right? Um, and then there's, you know, agricultural biotech. We can engineer traits in plants or the microbiomes, the plant microbiomes for the root systems. Uh, there's biotech animals coming our way soon. Um, there's all kinds of different areas here, a uh, bit under the biotech umbrella, including biopharmaceuticals. So if we lazily use that term to mean biopharma and healthcare, we're going to miss out on a lot of really cool, really interesting, and I think really big companies. Uh, they're going to be public very soon. Um, and this is kind of true of other terms that are technical terms, right? Manisha can weigh in here too. Um, like, so we use biotech interchangeably with biopharma. That's incorrect. We also kind of use genomics. Today, genomics means everything and it means nothing at the same time. It's kind of uh, one of those terms that just gets slapped in front of something to, to mean everything. And it's, it's pretty, you know, you can, you can go down the wrong path with that. You can miss opportunities. So, um, you know, so, beware so, of the, the commodification of, of certain technical terms, I guess, is my pitch here. So, Max, you, you say biotech animals. Does that mean I could get, like, a cat who follows directions or, you know, a dog who doesn't bark at me menacingly when I take a walk? I'm not sure why dogs don't like me, but they don't. Uh, is what, Or is it more about, like, uh, better food? Like, what's a biotech animal? Yeah, so there's, like, uh, we can genetically engineer salmon to grow different, like, faster or, or you know, with different um, protein profiles. Um, I think they're genetically engineering cattle, so they don't have horns because we have to shear them off. It's kind of painful for the animals. So that's just something for animal welfare. Um, there's a couple different companies trying to clone pets, for instance. So if your uh, little friend dies, we can bring them back in another version, I guess. Uh, I don't know. If I'm trying oh, to I've, I, I've seen that movie. It does not end well. Uh, Pet Cemetery does not. It, none of the versions of it have gone well. Manisha, I'll let you weigh in here, and then we're going to move on to a couple more questions. Uh yeah, sure. Just uh, agreeing with everything Max said there. And then in terms of uh, biotech animals, I mean, right now, if you look at agriculture, uh, there's so much waste and the anthropogenic use of land and pollution it's causing. So we are also using biotech to actually help the climate as well. Um, so, for example, there are companies out there. Uh, so uh, Max mentioned uh, salmon. So yes, you know, we call it farmed fishing, but imagine with increasing globalization, um, the demand for certain types of foods is much higher, but you can't just fish as much as you want because then you'll, you know, um, it's just gone. Uh, it's, a, it's not just there uh, for our taking, but if you can reduce the gestation period, for example, for fish by 50%, and um, you increase the number of calories that are produced in the world, um, you're able to also feed people at a lower cost with the same nutritional value. So you know, people who are vegetarians, for example, they need their protein. Um, so how can we make different uh, agricultural crops um, have a higher protein profile? Um, so there are a number of things that they're doing with biotech. And then one of my favorites uh, is DNA-based storage. So we always say technology is helping biology, but I think biology is now helping technology companies. I mean, it's still a theory and uh, people are working towards it, but imagine if you're using living cells to store information and data. Um, right now we're using so much compute power, where are we going to store all of this information? Um, so they're answering some of the other uh, most salient issues, in my opinion. I think Dan has a couple of uh, spare hard drives in his closet after his move, right? You can just <laughs> put it on there. 
I, I, I have a lot of spare everything. The sheer amount of cables. I have like 400 USB cables. Uh, so moving teaches you a lot about your excess. You're watching 7investing now. We're taking your health and biotech questions. Let me give a bit of a programming note. We know the inauguration is at noon here on the East Coast. We're going to get you out of here by quarter of at the latest. So Guys, to do that, because I want to keep sticking with the questions we have, we're going to skip the other segment we planned. We'll push that to next Wednesday's show, because uh, it's, it's one that's certainly valid a week after the election, as we're, uh, after the inauguration, as much as it is. Guys, feel free to weigh in in the private chat if there's any of the companies asked about that you want to talk about. Ken Chan at says, a lot of education needs to happen for regular investors like us to invest in biotech. And that's what we're doing here. <laughs> this is education. There is a ton on the 7investing site. When Max or Manisha make a pick, when any of us make a pick, we do a large write-up that gives you sort of all the fundamental reasons why we're making that pick. And then... We also record a video call where we spend 15 minutes to 45 minutes sometimes explaining why we made that pick to our coworkers. So Max and Manisha have to go up against each other who, you know, it's not adversarial, but they know to ask the questions that are the ones you're going to want asked and they have that background. So I feel pretty comfortable that you can get a better base in this type of investing at 7investing than at any other investing service out there. And we appreciate you watching. Uh, but Ken C says, I'm curious to hear Max and Manisha's thoughts on BNGO and optical mag- and optical mapping. Can't say BNGO without thinking, was its name-o? Manisha, <laughs> you get to go first. Sure. Um, so this popped up. Uh, so it's it, Well, now it's not so small, but um, it's a speculative com- uh, company. And uh, I think it had some great marketing. Uh, which you can see uh, in its stock price. And um, full disclosure, um, I do own shares of this company, uh, but when it was much cheaper. Um, and I think there's some misconception that people think that this company, based on the technology, will be replacing sequencing. Um, I've heard a lot of that, and that is definitely not the case. They are using sequencing, actually, um, with their technology, to address a very specific vertical. Um, and they basically came out and said, hey, and I'll let Max talk a bit more about this, but um, there's, uh, so in genomics, you have something called structural variance. So in sequencing, it's just one of the things that you look at in terms of which sequencing service is the best. Um, and they realized that compared to um, another sequencing service, they did a better job of detecting that. That's it. Um, so people say that, oh, no, so this is that new company and they're going to be the new sequencer. And that's not the case. Um, they, they operate in a different field. Um, it's very new. I think uh, what they offer is very intriguing. Um, some of their uh, use cases and case uh, stories show that they were able to, uh, well, they helped aid in the diagnosis of some rare diseases um, for children. So I think there's a place for them for sure. Um, it's just they're not taking a huge piece of that sequencing market that I think um, is being a little mispriced and uh, misunderstood. For those of you playing along at home, the call was B7. Max, your thoughts on BNGO? Dan, I also, I sing this every time in my head, every time I read it. Like, um, yeah, so I mean, what Manisha said, I mean, it has intriguing technology, um, very useful potentially. 
Uh, but it's still a pretty small business, right? I mean, I don't know. It, it looks like it's falling a bit today. Um, but, you know, yesterday it was at like $2.1 billion valuation. It's going to have less than $10 million in revenue in 2020 total. Uh, so that's, you know, um, it could has the potential for growth as a pretty int- interesting business model or a way it wants to um, overcome some of the hurdles and obstacles in the lab hardware business models. Um, but we still have to see it happen, you know. So even if it's going to grow very quickly or 100% year over year, it's still only a $20 million in annual revenue. Um, so it is possible to overpay for growth, you know. So valuation always does matter. And here I think um, maybe just a little frothy because it's risen so quickly. People see this vertical stock chart and they have FOMO and they want to get in, you know. So ask yourself: If do you want to buy this because you want to own it for 10 years, or is it because you heard about it on Twitter three weeks ago and you think it's a really cool idea, you know? So uh, <laughs> do not be honest. Do not take ideas from social media. I mean, you can take them as research ideas. It's, hey, I'm going to go look and see if uh, if Seven Investing picked this or if anybody that I'm a fan of uh, is talking about this stock. But the people on Facebook and Twitter don't have your best interests. And Ken Chan, who just asked us that question about education, points out that I'm a subscriber. And as a subscriber, one of the things you get is access to us. That means if there's some aspect of biotech that you don't understand, I don't mean a specific stock because we can't give personal stock advice. But you don't understand how, say, like drug trials work, and you message us at info at seveninvesting.com or at seveninvesting, that's the number seven on Twitter, and you say, hey, I'd like this. Well, maybe we'll answer you personally. Maybe Max or Manisha will decide to write something on it because it's something that's valuable. But again, there is no investing service where you can get this sort of level of personal attention uh, and we don't have everything yet. We're working on it. But with our new site, our ability to sort of answer en masse, and I can't tell you how much of our day we spend just mm-hmm. responding to customer queries. And it's a it's a joyous part of our job. Obviously, you get to interact with us, member or not, here on 7investing now. But that is one of the differentiators for those of you who are not subscribers. What are you waiting for? 7investing.com slash subscribe. $17 a month or $170 a year. That saves you $34. Or if you go to any of our Twitters, there's a decent chance we've shared somebody's referral code where you can get $10 off your subscription. And hey, let's, uh, let's stay with that one more just to, because again, like while we're on the question of educating people. Um, so, you know, this doesn't get pointed out a lot, but the business model for a company that's selling lab hardware, right? They have to sell machines or get machines into labs. And then, you know, that's a one-time revenue stream, right? They buy the machine. The revenue, the bulk of revenue for these companies, whether it's Illumina or PacBio or BINGO, um, have to, uh, they sell the reagents, the kits, the chemicals, they're called consumables uh, that are used to run those machines. So you have to get a large installed base, and then you have to get recurring revenue from consumable streams, right? Uh, You can also get service revenue, which is something that uh, BioNano has. It's a pretty intriguing idea. Maybe that works. Looks like it was actually growing quite a bit, at least this year. I don't know if that was from the pandemic or whatnot, um, but you know, so you have to get installed base, get consumables as recurring revenue, and it just takes time to build up the installed base, right? Uh, it took Illumina a lot of time, but now today, you know, we think of Illumina as this company that makes DNA sequencers and these instruments, and it does, but I think two thirds of its revenue actually comes from selling the consumables that run its machines, right? So uh, this is something that affects, you know, Illumina, PacBio. Um, BioNano, um, 10X Genomics, right? All these companies have to use the same business model. So um, that's never really pointed out, but keep that in mind. It takes time to kind of reach this critical mass before uh, these 
to, to explain that one on a uh, on a more non biotech level, Kerrig doesn't make money selling you the coffee yeah, makers; they yeah. make money selling you the pods, right. uh, and that is important to know as someone who owns a Kerrig Drinkworks, where the pods are four dollars plus. Who got suckered into buying premium pods this weekend, which. Uh, it was okay. I'm not sure it was worth the $5 per drink. Uh, going off topic a little bit here. Uh, so Backspace, we have two more questions here. We appreciate so many of you watching, so many of you being involved. We're going to try to pick up the pace a little bit because we're going to end the show uh, one way or the other by quarter of. Uh, but Backspace says, uh, do you think Eli Lilly's Alzheimer's success will drive pharma interest back into the Alzheimer's space? Uh, Max, you have 45 seconds. Yeah, so uh, Eli Lilly's been investing very heavily in neurodegeneration uh, diseases, including Alzheimer's. So I wouldn't say that it might drive more interest. I think there was always interest. Um, so this was similar to the Biogen asset. It's a monoclonal antibody. Um, so same class of drugs uh, as the Biogen. Um, and, you know, it's still earlier in development, pretty intriguing results. Uh, but there's still a lot of interest here among pharma. It's just earlier stage. Um, I think there's ways we can maybe slow down the progression of neurodegenerative diseases. I don't think we can reverse them with drugs alone. Um, so for Alzheimer's, for instance, the newest science says most of it's actually related to sleep quality. Uh, that naturally degrades as we as we age, but um, also people throughout your lifetime, if you don't get good quality sleep or enough sleep, um, oftentimes that is correlated to developing Alzheimer's or dementia. So um, without solving or addressing the sleep quality part of that puzzle, you know, we're not gonna be able to address it with drugs alone. So. I hope it's quality over quantity, says this person who does not take a lot of sleep. Manisha, 45 seconds on this topic here. What was the question? I don't sleep very much, so I call back. Eli and Alzheimer's, I know. No, so uh, this is an area that I follow quite closely. Uh, my grandma had Alzheimer's, um, and it's just a difficult area to do research in. We've had so many failures. So I don't think there's a lack of interest. Um, we know how large the opportunity is. One of um, the uh, pieces that we put out for our subscribers, um, I wrote about Alzheimer's and kind of that giant market. Um, we also have another company, Biogen. So coming up in March, it may be the next, and we don't know, um, the results will come out in March uh, if it's going to be FDA approved. But even then, it's not a cure. It's maybe it reduces the pace of um, deterioration. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there are a number of companies uh, in earlier stages. I do not think we understand the pathology yet. We're going to talk about one more question. I call this the danger slash red flag perspective. And uh, we appreciate the person who asked about this. And, and we always assume people are asking from an honest, I want to be a long-term investor play and not a, wow, is this going to go up 10 billion percent because somebody mentioned it on social media. But I'm not going to say who it's from just in case the person doesn't take it uh, all that well. Uh, on biotech, can you review ENZC, the possible cure to COVID, MS, and HIV? That is a gross overstatement. I don't care. I know nothing about this company, but there is zero possibility that is true. Uh, he's calling it the biggest opportunity in the market today. Sure, it would be if it could do all those things, which it absolutely cannot. I don't know if you guys have heard of Operation Warp Speed. Yes, we've heard of it. Uh, it that is the sort of government glom on attempt to what private business was already doing. It did put some money out there. I don't even see what this would have to do with that. Um, take a look at the stock NVAX4 comparison. Max, you were the one who highlighted this to me. This is a like what, like an eight cent stock. This do not buy this stock, I will say, first up top. 
Yeah. So again, you know, anytime a company says it's going to cure, uh, you know, multiple sclerosis and HIV and, you know, COVID-19, that's a pretty big statement. Um, so I checked this out just for giggles or whatever. And, uh, you know, this was valued at like $13 million. Um, it has one patent that it licensed from someone else. The CEO is a lawyer. Like it's <laughs> I mean, um, probably not the company that's going to cure HIV and everything. So um, I don't know. Even if you don't have a technical background, I think maybe some red flags should have gone off if you look at this company. Um, its website has typos on it. I mean, there's like, you know, uh, you just try to be a little more pragmatic, I guess, when you're looking at this. But, you know, biotech stocks, it looks great. They're four cents or whatever. You can buy 10,000 shares. Don't do it. It never works. Um, you know, it, usually getting pumped and dumped, right? Uh, it's going to go back to a penny sooner than you know. Uh, so just, it's not what we do. It's not good for long-term investing. Yeah, don't don't try to work. Don't try to ride the lightning of like what a company promises. And even when you look at sort of what it says on a credible site, go to any established pharmaceutical company. They will tell you what they're working on, what's in the pipeline. They won't tell you, oh my God, we're going to make everybody be able to fly and have laser vision. You know, <laughs> beware of overpromising. Manisha Sammy, I'll give you the last word on this one. Just all of the above. Um, and, you know, I. I understand that, especially when it comes to biotech, it can be confusing and it's easy to be gullible. Um, I think what Max said, what Dan has already mentioned, um, looking at biotech companies, if they're promising the moon, you should be wary about it. That is enough. We appreciate your questions. We took your questions today. We're going to do this more often. We, 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 there seems to be a heavy interest in talking about what you want to talk about when it comes to biotech more so than other spaces. Uh, but guys, let's hit our finisher. And this one is more in my space than yours. Uh, and Sam Bailey, if you want to share the graphic, which company will struggle the most pan post-pandemic? 32.6% said Peloton, 10.5% said Kroger, 37.6% said Grubhub, 19.4% said Zoom. I'm going to weigh in here, and Max Manisha, feel free to, to jump in if you want. The answer is Kroger. I think there is, there is zero possibility that Kroger, which right now is doing very well because you have to get groceries, that they're fighting with Amazon and Walmart, two companies that have great reputations that don't need to make money on grocery. Pre-pandemic, Kroger was not doing well. Peloton, Zoom, Grubhub, they all might see some dips in business, but especially Peloton and, and Zoom, those are very solid businesses. And Zoom doesn't really make less money if instead of us having 10 Zoom meetings a week, we have seven. Like it still, it still makes its money. Max, Manisha, I know you haven't heard of all these companies, but is there any, anything you want to weigh in on this one? Yeah, I don't know much. I would say I could see Grubhub falling. I mean, I think there's going to be this pent up demand for people going to restaurants and things. I know I am. Um, once it's safe to do so, of course. Um, Peloton was second. I don't think that's true. They might sell more or less, uh, you know, machines, but a lot of the revenues from um, like software services and things like that, right? The subscription services. So that might not be affected too much. Hopefully they can solve some of their delivery issues. Uh, Manisha, I don't know if you have anything. <laughs> Yeah, um, I did it through process of elimination. Which company have I not really heard of or it took me an extra second to think about? <laughs> um, so that was Kroger for me because um, I, I, I have friends who use Peloton and they're just, they, they're in love with it. I don't think they, like you can part with them from their Peloton bikes. Um, and I'm an avid Grubhub user. So uh, I would say Kroger, because for a second I was like, wait, I think they're a company. 
Um, oh, right. There's it is. So I'm that's based on that. And I will say, so Kroger is an undifferentiated grocery chain. And I will say that they've been making money during the pandemic. And aside from what they've had to spend dealing with the pandemic, they have invested in things that could work. So this was a company I was very negative on that I'm still negative on, but I am bullish on management sort of giving it a fighting chance. And it has yet to be seen what percentage of people with groceries are just going to prefer going to a grocery store over you know, getting their groceries at Walmart or from Amazon? I, with the grocery delivery market, I still think it's going to be a pretty small amount. You have to be home or you have to have something bulky like a refrigerator on your porch. Like It's not a, a perfect system. With that, we promised we'd get you to the inauguration, and we are going to do that. We are we are T minus fourteen minutes uh, on having a new president, uh, and hopefully everything is going safe at the Capitol. If it isn't, none of you are watching. Uh, but, but we assume because there's still an audience here that nothing huge has happened elsewhere. Uh, so we're done. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, and we are easy to get in touch with. That is info at seveninvesting.com. Uh, Kevin K. Mark, who we answered a question before, says, yeah, I've gotten responses uh, very quickly when I've had questions. Yeah, we answer. Steve Symington is usually checking the email, and he farms it out to any of us, or he answers the question. Sometimes it's groupthink. Hey, someone wants to know this. What can we say? Sometimes it's, hey, tell the person we'll make it a segment on the next show, or we'll cover it in a podcast. But you can get to us. You can also reach us at 7investing. That's the number seven, investing on Twitter. I want everyone to get to the inauguration. So that is all for the Wednesday edition. We will see you again Friday. Thank you for watching. positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.